This afternoon I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ as our, that he is our mediator and deliverer. As we confess this as a church in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 5 and Lord's Day 6. Read that together. That's on page 521 in the book of praise. We looked at the situation of our sins and misery, and now we also see how the Lord, how the Lord uh, brings deliverance. You remember last week we ended uh, running to the doctor, showing our spots, our sins, seeking a solution. And then we have the gospel is confessed by the church in Lord's Day 5. The question is, since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment, either by ourselves or through another. And the question 13, can we ourselves make this payment? The answer is certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can any mere creature pay for us? No. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. Why must he be a true and righteous man? He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Why must he at the same time be true God? He must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel which God himself first revealed in paradise. Later he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only son. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God came down from the glory of heaven to be born of a poor woman and then wrapped with some cloth and placed in, and the children know, placed in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And although it's a difficult task, challenge for a theologian to explain what it means that Jesus Christ was 100% God and at the same time 100% man. As Matthew 8 describes his life, we can see that it is a most wonderful thing to see and to participate in, to be a part of. 
Lord's Days 5 and 6 highlight the two natures of Christ to emphasize God's amazing love to us. Because these Lord's Days, this confession explains the two natures of Jesus Christ in its context of the triune God graciously working on our behalf for our salvation. And then we realize that perhaps the more difficult question, more difficult than explaining the two natures of Jesus Christ is to explain why, why the Son of God took on human flesh. Perhaps that's even more overwhelming, more difficult to comprehend what kind of God would take on our human nature so that he might die for us, knowing full well that we are rebellious sinners by nature. That he would take on our human nature so that he might die for us according to the infirmity of the flesh as we confess in the Belgian Confession, Article 19. What kind of God is that? Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 18 tells us it's a God, he's a God who wants to help us. A God who loves us with an infinite love. I don't know how much you reflect on the love of God in your day, in your week. It's an overwhelming reflection, isn't it? God who loves us so much that he took on our human flesh to pay for our sins, to die for us. He is a God who has done everything and as his people, we are overjoyed. We may rejoice in his love each day. And I preached you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. Our Lord Jesus is the mediator who heals us by taking our place. Jesus Christ is the mediator who saves us by taking our place. We'll see that he took on our human nature. Secondly, he took on our wounds. And thirdly, he took on our cause. Well, as we sang hymn 16, maybe you even thought about it, don't you know? There are, there are 106 days until Christmas, but we can't wait. We can't wait to celebrate the miracle of the incarnation of the Son of God. Galatians 4 said, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Philippians 2 tells us that the Son of God, who was in his glory, then at a certain moment he emptied himself of that glory he took on human flesh. That coming, that coming into the flesh, it's called incarnation. That coming into the flesh is God showing us his wisdom. God showing us that he's not confounded or, 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 or stuck when we show him our sins, we say, Lord, help us. We show, we show him our sins. And his answer, his wisdom, is to take on human flesh. He announced that already, that holy gospel in paradise. When he announced that a woman in the line of Eve would give birth to a, a child who would provide the solution to our sins, to our fall into sin. At that time, 
It was very clear. You can read about it in Genesis. Our, our natures were so corrupt that rather than, than seek God, the picture of Genesis, what, what did we do? What did mankind do? They, they trembling fled away from God. But God in his mercy sought us out in his love. And, and that's the gospel. As we read the Old Testament, as we, we read the patriarchs and the prophets, it's a, a message of the covenantal love of the Father who seeks undeserving sinners who are actually fleeing away from him. And he gives those sinners the privilege of being a part of his people. In fact, his glory cloud, his, the, the representation of his presence was even seen here on earth. Just like he had been with his people in paradise in the garden of Eden, the Lord dwelt among the sinful people in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. He was revealing to us the holy gospel. He dwelt among us, even though as, as the laws and the ceremonies of the law showed the battle against sin and impurity is an ongoing and a losing battle. Daily we increase our debt. He, dealt, he dwelt among us. He revealed the, the life-saving gospel in Leviticus 17, verse 11, that the lifeblood of another could be accepted in our place. That's a very, very significant text, very significant decision on the part of our God. He would accept the blood of another for the sin, for our sins. And then he established the sacrifices and the ceremonies so that the people could come near to him in the, in the t tabernacle and in the temple. And you read about it in the Old Testament about the people realizing their sin over and over again and then offering sacrifice after sacrifice many times a day. The blood, you can imagine the blood of the sacrifice animals just pouring out off the altar and, and running under the doors of the temple. The smell of the cooked calves and goats and birds arising several times a day from the altar. And this continuing years and years and years and years. And yet, it had to continue because that blood of the animals, the sacrifices, was not enough. It wasn't enough to satisfy God's justice once and for all. And why not? Well, the catechism, our confession explains... That's because God will not punish another creature for the sins that man has committed. I think that makes sense to us. We don't even need to, to give an illustration for that. The soul that sins pays for the sins. So it couldn't be a bull. God won't punish a bull or a goat in, in place of a human being. Won't even punish an angel in the place of a human being for it is the, the same human nature that is sin that must pay for sin. And then we see how necessary the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ was. Then we see that, that wisdom of God as we, we read about it in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. It, it shines forth when we read that the Son of God took on our human nature. And think of that picture. The Bible is full of it. The Lord, the Lord Jesus is the creator of, of the world. He is the creator word of, first John, of John 1 verse 3. 
about whom we read without whom nothing was made that has been made. And then we read in John 1 verse 14 that he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The man, Jesus, who wore sandals, who suffered because he had no place to lay his head, who needed water and food and sometimes he cried, who was able to touch the people around him, 100% man, that Jesus Christ is at the same time the, the Son of God who came down from heaven, who, who walked on water, who calmed the storms by rebuking the storms, who multiplied the bread with baskets and baskets left over, who cured the centurion servant at a distance, who raised the dead, who preached that he himself was the eternal judge and author of life. Yes, the man and God, Jesus Christ, with two natures. He was the answer. Psalm 49, verses 7 and 8 is is lamenting the fact that no one can give the life for another. That means we have no, no chance. That's what it looks like. No man can ransom another or give to God the price of life so that the other man might live forever. And yet, that's the gospel. There is a man who could give his life as a ransom for others. He is the son of God who, who did not despise the virgin's womb. We sang that in hymn three. It's very memorable little words. Son of God who did not despise the virgins whom he took on human flesh. He is also, he is the, the true and the righteous man who can make the payment. He is the mediator. A mediator is someone who stands between two people to bring peace to them. He is a mediator between almighty God and sinful man. And he has both the divine and the human natures. He is the mediator who is both sides at the same time. God and man. And think about that. Ordinarily, human mediators do their work as objective outsiders to both sides of a dispute. And they encourage both sides and what they can do to, to bring resolution. They have instructions. They, they have guiding principles. And each side will need to, to give something up and contribute another thing in order to arrive at an agreement. But now the two sides are the most perfect, just, righteous, creator, almighty God, and sinful, rebellious human creatures. We're not equal partners in this, in this discussion. God owes us nothing. He remains perfectly just and holy and merciful. If he were to change, it would only be diminishing. And he doesn't even need us in the relationship in order to be complete. 
And we confess, and that's an interesting question, what do we need to do in order to satisfy God's justice? And we need to be clear that when we say that, we're not saying what needs to be done in order that God's justice is satisfied. We're saying very clearly, what do we need to do? It has to be what is necessary for us to do to satisfy God's justice. We don't need a mediator who just says, okay, you need to do this and this and this. We know what we need to do, and we can't do it. We need a mediator who doesn't just point it out to us. We need a mediator who does what we need to do for us. And then we see what a beautiful thing it is that the Son of God himself, God himself, came and said, I'll do what you need to do to satisfy my justice. Hebrews 2, mentioned it already, it says that when Jesus came, it's not angels he helps, but he comes, he came to help the children of Abraham. He took on that human flesh so that he could satisfy God's justice for us and in our place so, so that he could pay the penalty for the sins we committed so that he could offer to God the obedience that we need for a relationship of peace. The Son of God took on our human nature so that he could be both parties in the relationship, God and man. And then as mediator and high priest, he offered himself as a sacrifice to satisfy God's justice and save us, his brothers and sisters, whose nature he had taken on. So what did he do? We, we see in Scripture that he took on our wounds. He took our sins upon himself. Now I don't know if you've noticed it before, but if you've gone to a doctor... You'll know, he wants to help you, but you'll notice that he often, he often wears a, a mask and he, and he puts on gloves. Sometimes it's even a little bit scary when it's an x-ray and he puts on a big, thick, heavy mantle and you have to be exposed to the, to the x-rays. He, he wants to help, but he doesn't want to, to be infected. He doesn't want to get whatever illness you have or to be infected. Uh, uh, Influenced or affected by the treatment you're receiving. Now think of a Jewish doctor when a, an illness is equal to being unclean. Well, a Jewish doctor, uh, he wouldn't want to get sick, that's for sure, but also he wouldn't want to be unclean from your sickness and then unable to worship the Lord in the temple. So he would be even more careful about not getting himself contaminated. And that is behind the, the parable of the Good Samaritan when, when all the, the religious men walked past the, the, the wounded Samaritan. It wasn't only that they were not too concerned about Samaritans. It's also they didn't want to get impure. Because of that, as they're going to the temple, they'd have to re-cleanse themselves all again. It was something that was very major in their minds. It was on their, on their minds, and, and Jewish people understood that. You want to try to stay pure. And then we read Matthew 8. How strange it is. Matthew has to emphasize how strange it is that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched a leper. 
who was still unclean. And then a little later, he touched Peter's mother-in-law on the hand. She was sick too. The story of Jesus touching the unclean, taking that uncleanness to himself, it shows that Jesus was a different kind of priest, a different kind of doctor. Instead of transferring the sins of a person, passed him on to the, the, the head of an animal, he transferred the sins and the uncleanness onto himself. It's what Isaiah celebrates in chapter 53 when it says he bore our iniquities. Matthew 8 even quotes that. In the New Testament, it's a, it's a big conclusion that Paul comes to in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, that God made his son to be sin, the son who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, in Romans 8, verse 3, it says that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering to be this animal that takes all the sin and is punished in place of the sinner. The high priest, Jesus Christ, he, he, he cleansed others by taking their sins upon himself and then presenting himself as the perfect sacrifice. In the verses we read in Hebrews 7, this amazing fact is highlighted when we read that we have a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Our high priest who did not know sin and yet he offered his own perfect human body as an offering for the sins that we confess to him and he places them upon himself. He takes on all our wounds, the wounds that we show to him, the, the sins that we confess to him, including the very sin of, of rejecting him. Just like a sick person then showing the doctor the spots on his body so that the doctor can, can take them away. So we can know, brothers and sisters, that as we confess our sins to the Lord, we can know that he has already punished them in his son as if we had placed them there on his shoulders when he was there on the cross. Jesus took the uncleanness of all who come to him, came to him. He takes the sins of all who confess them to him. He, he, he separates those sins from us. He, he takes them, he absorbs them himself so that when he was nailed to the sin, to the cross, Colossians 2 verse 14 says that our sins were nailed to the cross too. When the burden of God's consuming anger against the sins of the whole human race fell down upon the cross to, to burn all sin and rebellion that it found there with the eternal fires of hell. Jesus' divine nature made it possible for him to bear the anger, wrath, hatred, and indignation of his heavenly Father more than any human could. I think it's something we do every day. We confess our sins to the Lord. 
We show him our spots. And sometimes we wonder, is this really it? Hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He takes those sins upon himself. He's taken them. He's been punished for them, for every person. Psalm 49 reminds us that this ransom is extremely expensive. It's not a matter of dollars and cents, but the human sinner has to bear the divine punishment of eternal wrath. Even immortal angels cannot overcome it. 2 Peter 2 verse 4 says that God sent the angels who sinned to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. You see, the the punishment that each one of us deserves for our sins is an eternal punishment. It takes forever to pay. And that's why no one can pay the price for another person and still have time afterward for some nice communion with God. No one can spend eternity that they deserve under the punishment and then later go on continuing to live a new life. You see, there is no after eternity. When the infinite punishes the finite, the finite can only bear the burden if he also has a divine nature. And now look at why Jesus Christ also has a divine nature, why that solution is perfect. Rather than grant him some relief, his divine nature made his suffering even greater. Jesus Christ, the mediator who took on our sin, was punished under God's wrath like no other human or creature could be punished. For he felt the wrath of thousands of eternal curses in one short lifetime. And then we see that cry of agony. We read it again this morning in the form for Lord's Supper. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 53 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Old Testament pointed to this sacrifice. And then when we see the wisdom of God, we see how it goes far beyond our understanding, our comprehension. The two natures, but the love. And the assurance that you may have my brother, my sister, that that sin is forgiven. It's paid for in Jesus Christ. There was a well-known person, probably very well-known, well-known in our circles, named Martin Luther. He once prayed, you, Jesus, are my righteousness, and I am your sin. You took on you what was mine, yet set on me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. 
The Holy Spirit revealed that to Luther, to us all. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, you saw it as you walked in. Maybe you took some time to reflect on those words. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Our sins are punished in Jesus Christ. The true and righteous man who took our sins upon himself, he has satisfied the justice of God. How does your heart feel now? It's lifted up when we look at our Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we see the good news, the holy gospel. We are set free from the burden of God's eternal wrath against the sins we have committed. We can escape the punishment and we can also be again received into favor because he took on our cause. If you look at Hebrews 7, the passage we read, you will see that the blessing of having the Son of God as mediator rather than just a human priest is that the Son of God is eternal. So he, he continues forever in a permanent priesthood and then we read in verses 24 to 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. That means completely at all times, those who draw near to God through him. And then it says, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You read that verse, do you know where Jesus Christ is for you right now? The one who paid for your sins, what is he doing right now? He always lives to make intercession for us who believe in him. Now compare that to, to ordinary or human, uh, just that the regular creatures, human doctors or priests or mediators, when they're called in, they have a temporary role in the lives of others. But Jesus Christ is a permanent mediator. He doesn't just help you to, to get through a difficult moment to the other side one time and then you don't need him anymore. Some people live that way, don't they? I believe in Jesus. He saves me. Now I can do whatever I want. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to worship him. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't even need to pray. He continually lives to intercede for us. He is continually walking with us. He actually takes our place as a permanent place in the presence of the Father and then we are in the Father, in the presence of the Father, in Him as long as we are in communion and fellowship with Him. After He takes on our wounds and our punishment and, and cleanses and pays for it, He doesn't just leave you standing there all alone but he restores you to life. He restores you to a good relationship with your covenant father. And then we see, brothers and sisters, that, that it wouldn't be enough to just hear that God decided he won't punish you for your sins anymore if you can't still live with him in a new relationship of loving fellowship. The Bible's promises don't end on the cross when Jesus said it is finished. But it continues to Pentecost, 
to the Holy Spirit living in our hearts and leading us in an ever closer relationship with God. It brings us to the grand finale in the Bible in Revelation 21 and 22. What's the picture described there? An innocent man and a, and a God who just kind of sees you? No. About a God Almighty living in a relationship, dwelling in the midst of his people. In covenantal love and peace, walking. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is a complete Savior. And with his perfect righteousness and his continual intercession for us before the Father, he also leads us by the Holy Spirit to live each day joyfully with our God. Not only thankful for the forgiveness of our sins, but also desiring to praise him, to glorify him, to to walk with him according to our word, to his word. He has taken on our cause completely. So God always looks at you in Christ. He looks at you as as part of the body of Christ, his son. Your identity as a believer is now in Christ and it will be forevermore. A Christian, that's, that's your name, Christian. It's got the name Christ in it. One of the consequences of our fall And now our redemption is that we have access to the Father through the advocacy of Jesus Christ. An advocate is like a lawyer who took on our cause. He always is there representing us. We're always together with him. Like being under the protective wings of, of a mother hen. So his righteousness is our righteousness. His sanctification is our sanctification. That's 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. And the gospel is after all the debt has been paid, we are also given new hearts and new lives. And brothers and sisters, let us live in this new life, this new relationship. It's a joyful place to be, walking with your heavenly Father, in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There is only one solution. For those who want to escape the wrath of God against their sins and be received again into favor and you know what it is. You know who is our only Savior. As we'll see more next week, only those who are saved, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into this Savior, Jesus Christ, and accept all his benefits. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Only Jesus Christ is that mediator and deliverer that we seek and that God has given to us. Because only God loves you enough. Knowing who you are, only God loves you enough to do this for you. Amen.
We'll now sing together hymn 25, stanzas 1, 3, 6, and 7. Standing, if you're able to stand. 